so last week we started in this, uh, this series called Love You See, and, uh, and, and we've been kind of working through this, uh, a book that's, that's titled The Art of Neighboring. Uh, and so if, I know a lot of you picked up that book that we had. Uh, if you haven't picked it up, we're actually out of hard copies here, but you can find it on Amazon, Kindle, your local bookstore, which who goes to an actual bookstore any, anymore anyway, right? We just all do, everybody does Amazon, right? No? Are you guys okay? <laughs> I wish you guys could see your faces right now. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we've been going through this series called Love You See based on this book, The Art of Neighboring. And we've, we're, we're, we're starting to ask the question, what would it look like if we took seriously Jesus's commandments, that, the, the great commandments that Jesus taught his disciples, and in turn teaches us. The, the, when he was asked the greatest commandment, he said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So what would, it, what would it look like if we began to take that very seriously? But we're working to move beyond what would it look like if just we as individuals took that seriously? And we're even moving beyond what would it look like if more than just us as a church began to take those commandments seriously? And what if we started a movement that is community-wide of churches, of Christ followers, asking that question, what would it look like for us to take seriously the commands to love God with everything that we, that we are and that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so you'll see, you'll notice uh, through different things coming up in our, in our community, uh, there are about 20 other churches that are currently going through this same kind of sermon series and using this book. Now, I don't know if you fully can grasp the magnitude of that, but to get 20 churches in a community on the same page teaching the same thing, that's a really big deal. And so as a community, we're starting this movement. We're starting to ask, what would it look like if we all took seriously these commandments to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So you'll be seeing things that we actually have yard signs. I think I saw one at the Hope Center the other day of this love you see graphic. And we're trying to get these yard signs to, to kind of take over so that people see love you see and they'll wonder what is going on. Well, it's churches coming together to take seriously the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. Just a point of reminder, and I believe that Paul mentioned this in his sermon last week, but I think it's important that we kind of start by with this reminder. This idea that we don't love our neighbors, when we talk about loving our neighbors as ourselves, we don't do that so that our, our, our neighbors become Christians. We do that, we love our neighbors because we are Christians. Because we are following Christ, we are following this God who loves us so much that we sang the songs about this morning about how much he loves us. Because of that, we love our neighbors, not with some end game in mind, but we love them simply because God loved us first. So what does that look like? What does it look like to love our neighbors as ourselves? How can we practically do that? To talk through this, we've, we've kind of been, we started looking at, uh, at a very familiar passage in Scripture, a very familiar story in Scripture, and I want to just read it just to kind of give us a starting point this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 10, and it's a story that you, you've probably heard before, uh, especially if you are here last week because Pastor Paul read it. Uh, but it's in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This teacher of the law he got it. He, he, he heard what Jesus had said before. He, he was listening to Jesus, but as you'll see in just a minute, he was looking for a loophole in love. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the teacher of the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Can we take just a minute this morning uh, to talk about the priest and the Levite? Like a lot of times when we, when we do this, we focus on the Samaritan who did what was right. But can we just take just a minute and talk about the priest and the Levite? Like what in the world were they doing? Like why did they cross the road to avoid this guy who had been, who had been beaten and robbed? What were they doing? Uh, if, if we're honest, I think it's easy for us to kind of p- portray these guys as the, like the evil ones. The guys who are like, they have no compassion, they don't care about anybody else but themselves, and it's very easy to kind of cast them in this really negative light. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we're probably more like them than we'd care to admit. So what were they doing? Can I just say that these guys were probably really busy? <laughs> Seriously, think about, think about who these guys were. The Levite and the priest. The Levites. The Levites were, were the people that God set aside to kind of um, be in charge or to look over temple worship. The Levites were the ones who kind of made temple worship uh, a possibility, made it happen. Uh, they, were, they were the ones that would sing the songs, and they were the ones that would play the music. They would serve as, as guards of the temple. They were the kind of the, the ones who were doing things to make temple worship a possibility. It was an important job that the Levites had. The priest, the priest, the Levite priests were kind of this even greater responsibility. The Levite priests would have been the ones who were like, they were the ones that like oversaw the temple worship. 
If it weren't for the priests, the temple worship would not happen. They were as the the mediators or the go-between between the people and God. If it weren't for the Levites in the, in the temple, temple worship would not have happened. These guys were very important. They had really important tasks and responsibilities. I don't think that it's any stretch of the imagination to think that during this story, the story that Jesus was telling, this parable he was telling, that these this priest and Levite would have perhaps been on their way to the temple to facilitate worship. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that they had really important things that they had to do. They probably had a deadline that they had to meet. They were on a tight schedule to get where they needed to go, to do things that were really good. So they couldn't stop to be interrupted by this man who needed help. But again, if we're being honest, it's probably easier than we'd like to admit to find Ourselves to relate ourselves with these two guys. A few years ago, uh, at the last NYC, uh, we were in uh, in Louisville, and uh, and I see Colton and Baylor back there. They were uh, they were at NYC as well. Uh, we were NYC in Louisville, and um, so basically Chelsea was was pregnant. Chelsea, my wife, was pregnant with our with our middle son Judah. I don't remember. I think she was around the first trimester. I think she maybe just finished up the first trimester. So we're in Louisville. Our hotel is about was about seven or eight blocks from wherever, whatever event that we were doing at that time was. So we had taken the, the teens there and, uh, and Chelsea was just exhausted uh, being pregnant. That, that happens. And so she was exhausted. So me being the really good husband that I am, I walked her back to the hotel, said, you know what, you just, you just, you just take the rest of the evening off, get some rest. I made sure that the teens were like taking care. I didn't just leave them in downtown Louisville. Like I'm not, I'm not that guy, okay? I'm not that bad of a youth pastor. So I made sure that they were taken care of, took Chelsea back, walked the seven or eight blocks back to the hotel, dropped her off, and said, okay, I need to, need to get back, get back to the teens, what they're doing. And so I start walking back those seven or eight blocks back to where the event was. And about, as I'm walking down the sidewalk in downtown Louisville, about two blocks away from me, I see something that puts me right smack dab in the midst of this parable that Jesus is telling. Two blocks away from me, there's this man who is clearly not in his right state of mind for whatever reason. He's distraught over something. I can see from even two blocks away that something's not quite right with this situation. He's by himself in the middle of the sidewalk, and I can see him kind of wandering around, not really sure where he's going. I can also see that he is talking to no one in the middle of this street. It's clear to me that this guy needs help. Do you know what my first reaction was? If I just go up to this intersection right here, I can cut down this way, one block that way, and I'll be right where I'm at, and I can completely bypass this guy. Guys, I'm a youth pastor. Like, I was at a youth event worshiping Jesus with teenagers, and I'm a youth pastor, and, and I see this guy who needs help, and my first inclination was, hey, if I just make a little detour here, I can bypass this guy completely. Now, I will say, when I, when I uh, immediately after having that thought, I, I can't, have you ever been, like, smacked in the face by the Holy Spirit? 
Like it's like, oh, I mean, you can almost feel it because it's so real. That was me like, Josh, what? you're a pastor for Pete's sake and you can't even walk by this guy to see if he needs help. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm happy to say that like at least for once in my life, I listened to the Holy Spirit in that moment and I decided, okay, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to take this detour. I need to get to my kids, but I'm just going to go straight ahead. Needless to say, I, I did that. Uh, everything was fine. I, I asked him if he needed help. I tried to point him in the right direction and then some police officers pulled up and they took it from there. So I did my duty. I did my duty. I made sure that he was good. I, I listened to the Holy Spirit that one time in my life. What I'm trying to get you to see is that we're not immune from what's happening here with the Levites or with the Levite and the priest. It's no stretch of the imagination to think that these guys were really, really busy and they didn't have the time to help this man. Can we just for a minute not play the blame game and admit that this is us as well? That last week when Pastor Paul started talking about this idea of intentionally loving our neighbors better and practically loving our neighbors, that when he mentioned that, the first thought that we had was about our calendars and we panicked a little bit. Because when am I possibly going to fit this neighborly love into my schedule? We call this the time barrier. That time is the greatest barrier in living out these two commandments that Jesus pointed out. That time is the greatest barrier to truly living out the great commandments. This is the world that we live in. We live in a world of jam-packed schedules. We live in a world that celebrates busyness that tries to fill every single moment that we have with something. Think about this. Think about in the past, before we had the technology that we had. Put yourself in that position and try to imagine what we have now. So think about this. Think about in the past, thinking about a scenario where I could make a phone call while sitting in my car. Now, for some of you younger ones, you're like, obviously you can. Like, that's, why would that even, because we used to have landlines, and like, phones had to be hooked to something, right? Like, they had, they, you, no, you couldn't, you couldn't hook it into your cigarette lighter. So they're, they're chargers now, they're not cigarette, cigarette lighters, right? They're, they're, yeah, whatever. I don't know why that just side railed me in this entire conversation. What are we talking about? Phones and cars. Imagine in the past you would, have, you would have perceived a day where you could make a telephone call from the comfort of your car. Think about how much time that would save. And then think about this. You could send mail electronically that would be instantly received by the recipient and you could send said email while you're on the phone in your car. Pulled over, of course, because you would never do that while you're driving, right? Imagine the time that could be saved by doing that. Imagine having devices that would make it possible for you to watch whatever TV show you wanted, whenever you wanted, and you didn't even have to watch commercials. Think of the time you could save with that. You could even have meetings with someone 
in a different physical space than you and still see them. Think of the time that we could save. If you would have perceived, if you would have imagined this in the past before we had these things, you would have thought, holy smokes, imagine the free time that we are going to have because of these time-saving devices and technology that we have. Think of the rounds of golf we could play because we have so much free time. Or think of the Netflix binging that we could do because we have so much free time. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The truth is, in the, in, the, in the midst of a time where technology is like nothing before and, and time-saving devices and features are like unlike anything we've ever had in our lives, we live in the busiest time ever. Where there's always something. Because what we've done is those free moments, that with those times that we have freed up with this technology, and this is not bashing technology at all, all I'm saying is that the time that we have freed up by this, we've simply filled with other things. We've simply filled with other things to make us more productive. It's our culture. The one who gets the most done wins. The person with the busiest schedule is the most important because how could you not be important if you're constantly going from this place to this place because you have so much to do. But can I tell you this morning that as Christ followers, we're not called to the status quo. We're not called to do things the way everybody else does things. I think there's three, three lies that we tell ourselves uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to time. The first is this. Things will slow down someday. <laughs> Have you ever said that to yourself? Well, things will slow down someday, right? Like, when I'm just out of this season of life, things will slow down. When my kid gets his driver's license, things will slow down because I don't have to get them everywhere. When my kids grow up, then things will slow down. When I, when I finish this project at work, things will slow down. When I ever get out of this season of life, things will slow down. But how many of you know that that doesn't happen? <laughs> because when that finishes... Something else comes up. We fill that time with something else. The second lie is this, this idea that more will be enough. Man, if I, could just, uh, if I could just do more during this period of time, then that'll be enough. Or if I could just attain these things in my life, then I could slow down. If I could just save up, work hard, uh, work the extra hours overtime so I could save up enough so that I could put myself in a better position, then that will be enough. But it's never enough, is it? The third lie is this. I think this is huge. This lie that everybody lives like this. Well, this is just the way that we do things. This is just the way that the world is. This is, these are the demands that we have to keep. Can I tell you this morning that that's a lie? That it is possible to live different than this. But it requires work. It requires work. So I put down four things that it requires. And I'm usually, when I'm preaching, I'm usually not a list kind of guy in bullet points. But I think that this, these are just things that, that are important. Four things that it requires to get over this time barrier so that we can do what God has called us to do. And that's love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. First is this, making difficult decisions and choices. Specifically about how we spend our time. We have to make difficult decisions and choices about the way we spend our time. 
You may ask yourself, do I live at a pace that allows me to be available to those people around me? If not, what can I eliminate? What in my schedule can I eliminate so that I can live at a pace that allows me to be available to my neighbor? If we're not available to our neighbor, it's really difficult to love our neighbors. Are there things that I can eliminate? And I'll tell you, when you start talking about cutting things from your schedule, it requires making really difficult decisions and choices about the way you're going to go about your life. Just to make this really personal, um, I used to, when I used to think about becoming a dad, before I had kids, when, when I would think about having kids someday, one of my greatest uh, desires and aspirations, one of the things that I looked forward to the most about having kids was being a sports dad. <laughs> like, I really love sports. I love to watch sports. I love to play sports. I love everything about sports. And so uh, as I thought about becoming a dad, my greatest desire, the thing I looked forward to the most, was participating with, in, with my kids in sports or seeing them participate, coaching them, walking alongside them, cheering them on in sports. And this was the greatest thing that I looked forward to as a dad. Can I tell you, though, that the way that I have seen sports in our culture, and please don't, this is not, this is not a moment of convicting or, or calling anyone out. This is simply the decisions and the choices that uh, Chelsea and I have made in our lives that we're not going to buy into the crazy schedules of sports. And it's... And, and, and again, I, this is just me being honest about what, what we've, the, the tough choices that we made. And that was, that was crushing to me as a dad that, I, that, I wasn't, that, that my son was probably not going to be a left-handed major league pitcher. Specifically left-hand because Jensen is left-hand only because I tied his right hand behind his back so that he would be. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Just kidding. But we had to make the choice, and we've made the choice, and we're just getting started, and I know this, but that my kids are probably just going to play simple rec league ball because we've made the choice that we're going to create space, we're going to eliminate, before they even start, this crazy, chaotic life that is not sustainable for us. So we made that decision. Getting over the time barrier in order to create space to love our neighbors makes us, forces us to make choices and decisions that are not easy. Are there good things in your life that you need to eliminate so that you can focus on the great things? Because I think that a lot of times we, when we're talking about this, it's like, oh, what are the bad things? What are the time wasters that I'm, that I'm doing in my life? The truth is, is that if we really look at our schedule, most of them are not petty little things. Most of them are good things that we're filling our schedule with. But are there good things in our life that we can eliminate so that we can focus on the great things? Michelangelo, when he was uh, doing his David sculpture, uh, he was asked about it and how did you see this and how did this come about? And what he said is that he, took, he started with the, the slab of granite and all he did was start chiseling away and knocking off and eliminating all of the pieces of the granite that weren't part of the masterpiece. 
So if this piece of granite wasn't a part of the masterpiece, he eliminated it. Are there things in your life that you can eliminate to focus on the great things? So we got to make difficult decisions and choices. Second thing I think we have to do is be intentional. Be intentional with how we use our time. Think about Jesus. Think about the way that Jesus spent his times. Think about the things that Jesus accomplished while he was on earth. Jesus was neither lazy nor was he in a hurry. If you notice him, he wasn't lazy. He did things, but he was also never in a hurry. What Jesus was is he was intentional. He was intentional with how he used his times. Being intentional with his time allowed him to remove himself at times. It allowed him to step back to spend time with the Father because he was intentional with the way he used his time. Are you being intentional with how you use your time? Is your intentionality in your time allowing you to focus time and energy on relationships and people? Dave Ramsey, when he's talking about uh, uh, budgeting and and finances, uh, he says this about a budget. He says, a budget is you telling your money where to go rather than wondering where it went. And And that's in talking about money. But I think that same principle applies to our time. That if we're not telling our time where to go, or if we're not telling ourselves, if we're not disciplined and being intentional on how we spend our time, then I promise you that someone or something else is going to tell you how to spend your time. And they're going to spend your time for you. Are you intentional on how you spend your time? The third thing is this. Be interruptible. Is your life so full Is your schedule so full that any sort of interruption causes anxiety because it throws off your schedule and your calendar and your to-do list? Again, think about Jesus. Jesus, this 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 is pretty fascinating. Jesus allowed his interruptions to be interrupted. Think about the story in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus is with a crowd of people and he's moving along to the next place that he's going to teach. He's on a mission. He has something to do. And Jairus, a high-ranking official, comes up to him and tells him that his daughter is sick. And what does Jesus do? He allows himself to be interrupted. Right? He has something that he's going to do. He has some place that he has to be. He, He probably wants to be there at a certain time. But Jesus allows himself to be interrupted to go towards Jairus' house to heal his daughter. Well, what happens in the midst of that interruption? The woman with the bleeding disorder interrupts him again. So Jesus is in the middle of an interruption and is interrupted again. And what does he do? He focuses on that interruption. Jesus allowed his interruptions to be interrupted. In your life, in your schedule, in your time, are you willing to be inconvenienced? Because if we're truthful... Interruptions are inconvenient. We have something that we need to do, somewhere that we need to be. Are we willing to be inconvenienced? Do we live our lives with margins? Meaning, do we intentionally leave margins in our lives that allow us to be good neighbors, to be interrupted? The final thing is this. Make the main thing the main thing. 
Make the main thing the main thing. I want to end with a story, another story from Scripture. Right after this parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells uh, to the the teacher of the law who's asking who his neighbor is to try to kind of get out of something, Jesus teaches this, this parable of the Good Samaritan. And immediately after this story in Luke chapter 10, we see this fascinating interaction between Jesus and Mary and Martha. We see that Mary is at the feet of Jesus, just kind of listening and spending time with Jesus. And what's Martha doing? She's in the kitchen preparing things, getting things ready for their guest, uh, their guest of honor, Jesus, preparing things, busy. She's busy doing good things, though. Martha is, is filling her time with good things. She's filling her time with serving Jesus. What's fascinating to me is I think that Martha was even filling her time doing exactly what Jesus was hinting at in the parable before. This idea of serving someone. Martha was doing just that. She was filling her time with good things. But the pace of it, the pace, the, the hassle, or, the, or the, the, the chaos of getting everything ready and getting everything done caught up with Mary, and she found herself complaining to Jesus, caught up with Martha, and she found herself complaining to Jesus because Mary wasn't helping. What does Jesus do? Jesus instructs Martha that Mary has chosen the better thing. That Mary has decided to make the main thing the main thing. Spending time with, relationships, listening to each other. That this was the main thing, specifically listening to Jesus. That this was the main thing. Are we spending our time? Are we making the main thing the main thing? Martha's busyness of good things was making her miss out on great things. Something that I think is overlooked in this uh, this story of Jesus and Mary and Martha uh, is, is what is Mary doing? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. In this context, in this culture, this would have probably indicated a disciple sitting at the feet of of the disciple's teacher and learning and listening from that teacher. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus as a disciple would his teacher. Can I tell you that this is a countercultural thing? That in this context, the idea that a female would be sitting at the feet of a male in the way that a disciple would be sitting at the feet of a teacher was totally countercultural. This was not status quo for this context. Mary should have been doing what Martha was doing. Mary should have been making preparations and serving the men who were doing their thing in the living room. That's what Mary should have been doing by cultural context. What she decided to do was countercultural. Can I tell you that if we want to live in a way where time is not a barrier to doing what Jesus has called us to do, we have to live countercultural lives. We have to be willing to go against the grain of culture and society. 
Culture celebrates full calendars. Culture celebrates extreme paces of living where you're always on the go. Lots of meetings to be at. Multiple practices and games each week. Culture celebrates this hectic pace of life. Friends, we are called to live different. We were never called to do things the way society tells us to. Are you willing to do what it takes to get over this time barrier, to be good neighbors? In this series, we've been, uh, last week Paul kind of gave us very practical things. We want, we want to make this practical. We don't want to just make this a sermon series that we, that we listen to on Sunday morning, but we want to make this very practical. And so we want to continue on that. And so last week uh, in your bulletins, there was a, I didn't bring one up, but there was a, uh, a sheet of paper with blocks on it. And it's actually in your bulletin again today. And the idea of this is, is the beginning of getting to know our neighbors, the beginning to being a good neighbor is simply knowing our neighbors, right? Starting with knowing their names. And so there's like, I think, eight blocks around your house that, that it's asking you to just start by just getting to know their name. Maybe something else about them. Where do they work? If you haven't had a chance to do that this week, we would encourage you to do that this week, this coming week. Get to know your neighbors a little bit. Something very practical. Just asking them their name. And again, that's really awkward if you've been their neighbor for 15 years and you're like, Man, I always call you, hey, man, like, good to see you. <laughs> the, the humility that it would take to say, bro, we've known each other for 15 years and I don't know your name. <laughs> Can you tell me your name? Get to know your neighbors. The second kind of practical thing that, that, that I would encourage this week is look at your calendar. As a family, look at your calendar. If you don't keep a written calendar or on your, on your phone, whatever, maybe just sketch out. Uh, I had the teens do this at a retreat a few months back. Just sketch out a typical schedule of a typical week and just look at it. Look at it. Are there margins in your schedule? Is there any free time in your schedule to be a neighbor? If there's not, are there things that you can eliminate from that schedule? Last practical idea is this. Spend an hour... This week, in your front yard, where you can be seen by your neighbors. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, the kids are outside all the time, but it's in our backyard, and we have a privacy fence. <laughs> so, like, we can go in the backyard and not be seen. It's great, right? We don't have to be a neighbor back there. Like, maybe I hear the dogs barking, and if I'm up on the deck, I can see over to the neighbors, but they don't have to see us. What would it look like to spend an hour this week in your front yard where you can be seen? If it's not your front yard, the idea is... What can you do to be more visible to your neighbors, to the people surrounding you? What can you do to do that? Our goal in this is, is kind of, we've, we've set up this continuum, uh, going from strangers to acquaintances to relationships. In our, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, what would it take to go from stranger to acquaintance to relationship? What would it take to get over this time barrier to help us be able to do that? I'm going to give you just two minutes of, of reflection time to think through that. Are there things in my life? Am I living at a crazy pace of life that I can't be a good neighbor? And what is God saying to you that maybe you need to rethink and that I need to rethink because I'm not immune to this either? What would it look like to live at a pace where we could actually be good neighbors?